Welcome to the second episode of the Weekly Dispatch. I'm Sean here in Washington, D.C., and we're going to be covering the week of the 14th through the 20th of July, hitting all the important topics in the news cycle and looking for all the upcoming events important to your week. Our podcast is sponsored by Paragon Recovery. Use the code CRONUS15 to get great deals on their products. Paragon Recovery keeps you in the fight. They're activating your recovery and sleep cycles. Also, check them out and contact them for even more savings if you're a member of the military community or one of the law enforcement agencies. Today's podcast will highlight tensions again in the Persian Gulf, violence and an Ebola outbreak in Africa, and conflicts in the Strait of Taiwan with China. Our U.S. and America's news this week will be an in-depth discussion concerning the immigration debate, as well as the laws pertaining to our ties to Central and Latin America. Other big news we'll highlight is big tech and its role in data privacy, data mining and sharing, and finally, anti-competitive behavior and monopolies. Lastly, our podcast will focus on upcoming hearings in the House and Senate and the review of the Justice Department's fallout from our discussion last week on the census topic. Our economy discussion for this week will be heavily dominated, though, by a review of two Democratic Party candidates for presidents, uh, Senator Warren and Sanders and their policy for student debt relief, as well as another big tech investigation by Europe for similar issues we're discussing in our American segment and those associated fines. Finally, our uh, final economic discussion will wrap up concerns over China, its westward expansion, investment into a new Silk Road, and its GDP growth. Pending any further adieus, let's get into it. All right, global news again kicks off with Iran and tensions out of the Persian Gulf and Strait of Hormuz. Uh, right now, U.K. shipping is advised to stay out of the area of the Persian Gulf and the Strait, where roughly one-fifth of the world's oil comes from, after the capture of the British tanker Stena Imperio. Iran's reported, however, that all 23 crew members are currently safe in being held in Bandar Abbas, uh, an Iranian port, pending a criminal investigation of the ship's actions. Iran's claiming the tanker uh, violated its international waters, as well as uh, polluted those waters with crude oil. After that, uh, Iran's come back to also say that Tanker was involved in an accident with an Iranian fishing vessel and then ignored its distress calls. Uh, this comes on the heels of the U.S. reporting that it shot down an Iranian drone after coming within 1,000 feet of this ship. What we're assessing right now is Iran isn't significantly looking to go to war, but it definitely wants to project strength, especially at home with military hardliners who want to see an increased response to the U.S. sanctions uh, since 2015 and then those additions to the sanctions and leaving them in 2017. Uh, significant for Britain right now, they face a huge moment of escalation as now they've seized a ship from Iran off the Strait of Gibraltar. Uh, this is the third British ship that's been stopped in the last week and the first that's been taken. And then it comes at a time when they're set to leave the EU on October 31st, uh, which is going to throw off the uh, debates Iran is currently having with the European Union to help levy some of the uh, cost of the sanctions the U.S. is pushing on uh, Iran and its exports. Now for some news concerning Africa and an unfortunate outbreak of violence and Ebola. 
the Ebola epidemic is reaching its first year in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and is now considered a global health emergency by the WHO or the World Health Organization. Right now, the disease has reached the city of Goma, which is a city on the eastern national border, home to nearly 2 million people, and it's reaching a geographical expansion, closing in on countries like Rwanda and Uganda. Uh, the last e Ebola epidemic was in West Africa in 2014. You might remember that because we sent part of the Army Corps of Engineers from the 36th Engineer Brigade, as well as the 101st Airborne, to help that outbreak. Um, that last Ebola outbreak infected over 28,000 people and killed 11,000 of them. And as of Monday, the disease inf has infected 2,500 people and killed roughly 64% of them, or 1,600. Uh, the peril for this region of Africa is already intensified by that unrelenting violence we see from warring militias and the conflict zones. And then labeling this an epidemic will help international support and relief efforts, including finance, healthcare workers, logistics, security, and infrastructure. Uh, we talked about the, the military presence, so we don't know exactly how U.S. forces might respond, especially with the uh, violence we're about to report on from Somalia. Uh, but you might see another increase in rotations through Africa to help with this crisis. So far, the World Health Organization has received $49 million from international donors just this last six months. And just to kind of break down exactly what it takes to quell an outbreak like this, it takes nearly a year to produce a single batch of vaccines. Already 195,000 have been donated by Merck since last year, and they're still waiting on another 245 uh, to go to uh, the outbreak. Uh, we're also now going to follow up with more African news. In Somalia, a car bomb and gun attack in a hotel uh, on the southern port city of Kismayo killed 26 people. Al-Shabaab. The terrorist group with links to al-Qaeda claimed responsibility for the attack, and after an all-night siege, government troops were able to kill the attackers. They assessed the location was targeted because it hosts senior politicians uh, traveling through the country. Obviously, Somalia has had flares of violence going back to uh, Mogadishu when the rangers were there, so we'll probably see some more violence start picking up. And with an increase in Ebola, uh, that's just going to make this effort to both solve that international crisis and the violence that much more difficult. Our final global topic is going to look at China. Right now to Beijing, the People's Liberation Army is conducting drills for the fifth time this year in the Strait of Taiwan amid growing tensions between China and the United States over a $2.2 billion U.S. arms sale to Taiwan. The U.S. State Department approved that deal back on the 8th of July, uh, which included over 108 Abrams tanks, some Stinger missiles, and other military uh, equipment. Taiwan, which has considered itself independent since 1949, uh, when the Civil War in China forced the nationals to flee communism and settle on the island, uh, is largely a topic of concern for China as it considers uh, that island part of its One China principle. So by the U.S. supporting the sale of arms to Taiwan and allowing the Taiwanese president to visit the United States, uh, China sees that as a threat to peace between U.S. and China relations. And now for news about America, our policies, politics, and the Americas, which seems to rarely be super positive. So let's see how this week plays out. Fingers crossed more good came from this with the release of The Lion King and that Ed Sheeran album, but I doubt it. Oh boy, never mind. We have some real fun topics for you. 
As we talked about, we are going to discuss immigration at length, especially since last week uh, President Trump announced and confirmed U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement plans to conduct nationwide sweeps to arrest thousands of undocumented uh, immigrant families, uh, cities like San Francisco, Denver, Los Angeles, Chicago, New Orleans, Houston, Baltimore, Miami, Atlanta, and New York, some of the biggest U.S. cities, uh, were going to be targeted. Uh, the operation is a repeat of last month's mission, which was canceled, if you remember, but will aim to target roughly 2,000 recently arrived families, most of whom don't have uh, criminal histories, and the raids were supposed to continue through the 18th of July. However, since that date has now passed, uh, we've seen that uh, it was more of a talking point to try to get uh, immigration numbers down and to try to prevent uh, more illegal crossings. Um, however, the fallout of that is the American Civil Liberties Union sued in federal courts in New York, uh, attempting to block those raids. And then the cities prepared uh, to support immigrants with cadres of attorneys and providing assistance via hotlines. So we'll go back to cover some of the immigration. All right, the original law was created in 1952 under the public law number 82-414, uh, which allowed citizenship after five years coming through legally, uh, et cetera, is one of the big debates is. So just for awareness for what the Border Patrol does, it can operate within a 100-mile zone of the borders. Important to note, that includes uh, both land and sea. And since 200 million people live within a 100-mile zone, of one of the borders or the water, um, that border patrol actually takes up a huge portion of our population. Um, and the border patrol operates uh, essentially anywhere from time to time about 170, 170 interior checkpoints, give or take. Uh, the real number is not known. So the ways that people can come into the country, uh, they can apply for an H-1B, which is a, a lottery or employer-sponsored work visa. Uh, the second is some sort of extraordinary ability. That's an EV-1. Uh, those are people with skills like doctor, machinist, uh, high-tech leaders from around the world. My physics teacher in high school was from Pakistan. Uh, he came here because he had a degree in nuclear physics. So America grabbed him, and then he taught physics uh, for a number of years. The last uh, way someone can come to America of the, the primary measures is through U.S. Code 1158, which is asylum. It states that any alien physically present in the United States or arriving, uh, whether or not at a designated port of arrival, which has been a point of contention, uh, can apply for asylum. Individuals have to file that application within a year, but the Secretary of Homeland Security uh, or the Attorney General uh, may grant asylum to an alien in accordance with those procedures established by the Attorney General um, meeting sections uh, 1101 alpha and 42 alpha. So providing asylum must be established through race, religion, nationality, membership, or particular social group. Uh, so basically between William Barr and Kirsten Nielsen, who's the Secretary for Homeland Security, uh, they can also create provisions uh, per the legislative branch into enacting laws that would govern how people come in. Now, this is affecting some of our trade and some of our laws with foreign countries uh, in Central and Latin America. Uh, the administration announced it was going to limit asylum to individuals at the U.S.-Mexico border. The new law uh, is going to deny asylum to individuals who pass through Central America without applying for asylum first in those countries they travel through before reaching the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, this is an attempt to limit the cases, uh, according to Attorney General William Barr, um, that are meritless. 
the new rule applies to all individuals, men, women, and children. So nobody's going to get out of it based on their sex, gender, or age. The rules were created per the department uh, issuing the statement based on conclusions reached about people coming from the triangle countries. That's Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. Last month, 85% of those individuals who attempted to cross the border uh, illegally came from a country other than Mexico. So they want to make sure if you're going to come to the U.S. border, uh, since countries in Central America are deemed uh, potentially safer than some of the areas uh, outside of those countries of origin, um, they should apply for asylum there first. The former acting undersecretary at the Department of Homeland Security, John Cohen, uh, says that the new mandatory bar from the Justice Department is inconsistent, though, with that federal law we talked about. And this comes at a time after President Trump and Mexico reached a deal to increase border security in southern Mexico. And then President Trump is uh, attempting to meet with the president of Guatemala to enforce stricter asylum cases there. So we'll continue to, f we'll continue to follow this up uh, for you. Obviously, it's going to be discussed during the July 30th and 31st uh, Democratic uh, candidacy debates. And then we'll see this uh, probably weekly um, as the, the flavor of the month starts uh, trending and changing based on numbers coming through our borders. Our next U.S. topic is going to be focusing on big tech. And if you are ever weary of technology, social media apps, companies, then you'll be really interested to hear this and you'll probably go delete it afterwards. But right now there's a lot of pending regulation, both coming from Europe as well as in the United States. So on Tuesday, lawmakers questioned a number of big tech executives over their perceived bias of communication and concerns of regulation after privacy issues and some monopolistic tendencies. The Justice Department is taking on Google and Apple, and the Federal Trade Commission is taking on Facebook and Amazon. Just last week, the Federal Trade Commission voted to fine Facebook over $5 billion for mishandling users' personal data. And you remember Facebook came out with... They're really artistic. We are one. We're protecting everyone. Your data is our data. Privacy. But the government didn't care, and it's charged them. Back to Tuesday, the hearings really focused on Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google uh, for altered innovation um, and entrepreneurial activity, claiming that those practices upstarted competitors and favor company-offered commerce on their digital marketplaces each one of those companies operates. In one example, Mr. Cicilline addressed the concern that the company marketplaces gave those companies unfair advantage over rivals who relied on the same marketplace and how those companies hosting the data, for instance, Amazon can gather that data from sellers to compete with their brands. Uh, Amazon's associate general counsel, Mr. Sutton, uh, in court stated that individual data was not collected, but he did not note uh, if aggregate seller data could be used. So he left that topic open for interpretation, which means that they might not say, hey, this guy specifically shops for socks, and he loves socks so much. Let's see his tendencies. But they might gather a 1,000 people and say, these 1,000 people generally do this, so let's make sure we do it. Colorado Democrat Representative Joe Negussi focused on Facebook, pointing out Facebook, which is the world's largest social media network, followed by WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and Instagram, coming in at third, fourth, and sixth, are all owned by Facebook. There's a lack of competition, and those companies that control the media, control the narrative, and control those commodities uh, are forcing many companies 
out of uh, potential competition. And then staying within Washington, D.C. and Capitol Hill and those companies, Google is being uh, focused on, for one, for censorship over conservative viewpoints, while others are focusing on Google's inability to police content on YouTube. If you remember, Speaker Pelosi had a video that was altered to make her look inebriated. It was up on YouTube. It was on Facebook. It was never taken down. Uh, both conservatives and uh, Democrats have an issue with Google over its inability to control its own marketplace. Karen Batia is Google's vice president for government affairs and public policy and claimed it was doing all it, was, it could to make a better place for indiv individuals on the Internet, but drew considerable criticism after Senator Hawley pointed on Google's increased work with China over the recent Project Dragonfly with the Chinese military, a claim which Google denies. Adding to the issue with policy within the United States, the fact that Google is working with another country that suppresses narrative from the media and uh, opposing viewpoints from the government just shows the capabilities that the larger corporations might have and might be playing a direct impact on our U.S. policy. Google, uh, Google though, maintains its business model um, and is just saying it's trying to get Chinese companies to use Google outside of China for hardware and cloud capabilities. Google, though, denies uh, Chinese intelligence infiltrated the company's management through this sale, uh, getting at its software or private data during the hearing. And in more problems for tech, too, uh, recently the Washington Post ran a review of a site called Nacho Analytics, where for $49, uh, you could have access to a marketing intelligence service, which provides businesses information on consumer practices and habits. Nacho claims it's a 100% legal uh, company, and in their web video only says it gathers data from opt-in users agreeing to share information anonymously. So let's look at what opt-in means. Opt-in is something that you might not even read in a contract when you have a browser extension on your computer making it easier to get at sites or to collect information. So those extensions will inform you the sites have access to share anonymous information and the privacy policy, uh, and that it can read your browsing history. However, while you're loading those apps up as an extension, it likely won't tell you during installation or highlight that data gathering practices uh, you know, cover significantly more about your browsing history than you would other, otherwise like to uh, concern yourself with. Specifically, the Microsoft OneDrive was something that the Washington Post was able to get into and just search members within their own newspaper and were able to find medical records, flight status, tax returns, Uber location and drop-off, login information. So for $49, you could really go and have a heyday and find a significant number of information. However, don't go to Nacho because they just reported a permanent data outage as a result of the investigation. And then Google and Mozilla banned over six of these add-ons in a way to clean up. Tech has a huge problem right now, and it's getting put under a micro, uh, microscope, and this is going to pertain to Europe as we cover some of the economic fallout from those anti-competitive behaviors, as well as their inability to police their own sites. Like I said, this week's U.S. and America's news isn't too positive, and we're going to move back to Washington, D.C., within Congress and the Justice Department to discuss exactly why that is. So last week, over the census question, judges were saying they needed to see information as to why the Justice Department wanted to add the citizenship question. Now, in light of that request, Congress is 
telling uh, the Attorney General William Barr and the Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross to turn over those key documents to related to Trump's attempt to add the citizenship question over the 2020 census. Barr and Ross refused to hand over some key uh, documents, and as a result, uh, the House voted to hold Attorney General William Barr and Secretary Ross in contempt. The administration's rationale for the question, uh, again, was to better improve and enforce the Voting Rights Act. However, the critics argued the documents will confirm that the administration's true motivation was to eliminate non-citizens from population statistics used to draw political boundaries, diminishing Democratic representation. Highlighting last week's Supreme Court news, where the Chief Justice authored an opinion believing the rationale behind the census question needed to be readdressed. Congress has only held a sitting member of the presidential cabinet in contempt once before, and that was for President Obama's Attorney General uh, Eric Holder. Staying within some of the topics of uh, Judiciary Intelligence Committees and Congress, uh, FBI Director Robert Mueller is going to appear in the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committee next Wednesday to face questioning from Democrats and Republicans over his investigation of President Trump in that 2016-17 election, which took two years and produced a 488-page report followed by a very short summary by Attorney General Barr. Uh, in that, uh, the House investigators say the inquiries will focus on obstruction of justice, excuse me, obstruction of justice by uh, Mr. Trump and his associates, which could inflict significant political damage on the reelection prospects. However, most of the country has not seemed to care since the conclusion was read, and now it's mostly party lines for how people feel about the findings. This comes on the heels of Speaker Pelosi's widely circulated desire not to impeach the president, as she feels it's not going to bring anything to light, which isn't already known, but it's causing a major rift in the Democratic Party. Um, by moving towards impeachment procedures, individuals feel that uh, that's just going to play into President Trump's hands for the re-election and prevents talking about the true issues for the upcoming election. Mr. Mueller's report, though, key to note, didn't exonerate President Trump but merely pointed to the Justice Department's policies, which prevent him from considering whether to charge a sitting president. Uh, that goes back to Congress uh, creating statutes and then the Justice Department's ability to review that through case law, common law, and then uh, those already enacted rules. So the FBI wasn't in a position they felt where they could actually charge the president uh, and left that decision to the Justice Department to review. Uh, the larger issue, though Republicans argue, is since President Trump was not found guilty of collusion, those crimes which relate to the investigation, the ones that the Democrats are looking for obstruction of justice, should be thrown out uh, as they were a result of that exoneration finding um, from both uh, the Justice Department and what was alluded to in Mueller's report. Um, this is going to be of significant focus next week in our topic as we discuss the Wednesday hearings. Our last bit of U.S. news will sadly focus on the 9-11 first responders and the bill's uh, compensation fund, uh, which is expected to stop taking claims by next year. Uh, that fund is already running out of money. So in the Senate, Rand Paul recently blocked uh, congressional funding uh, for that victim compensation fund after claiming spending needs to be investigated and analyzed further, citing that a program with a longevity of 70 to 80 years should be offset by cutting spending that's less valuable. 
Paul blocked this bill after Senator Gillibrand from New York introduced the bill for unanimous consent. Under the laws of the Senate for unanimous consent, if just one individual individual places a hold on the measure or objects, then that bill is squashed and needs to be readdressed in one of the committees. Another individual who objected and wanted to place a hold on it was Senator Lee. The uh, September 11th Victim Compensation Fund uh, is supposed to stop taking claims by the end of the next year. And this bill was supposed to fund the next 70 years after seeing the first decade cost almost $10.2 billion. Critics of Senator Paul argue his lack of oversight in supporting the $1.5 trillion tax cut in 2017, which added hundreds of billions of dollars to the deficit, is unworthy of his office. Uh, Trying to do so is John Stewart arguing that balancing the budget on the backs of 9-11 first responders and the community is unacceptable for a member of Congress. They're rapidly going to readdress this as it is a topic that is very close, near and dear to the heart of the United States. It clearly launched the U.S. uh, towards uh, combat in the Middle East, and that's still ongoing. So for many individuals, especially those that grew up on the Northeast that had friends or family, it's a topic which is going to be addressed uh, continuously until individuals come together to do something for those brave men and women that went in to save individuals from that calamity. Ah, yes, the economy. Economy. Money, money and such. Finances and bonds. Yes, 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 yes. Indubitably. Supply and demand. Markets. Hedging. Hedging the cap. Hedge the shit out of it. Let's talk business. First and foremost, everyone loves food. Guess who's attempting to revolutionize food industry? Not me, because I can't talk today. Uh, Uber is announcing its new initiative with Uber Eats and Elevate. Uh, so testing began in San Diego with McDonald's, uh, and it's supposed to roll out commercially with drones this summer. You heard that right. Uber wants to use drones by this summer. Pricing is going to mimic Uber Eats, and companies will drop the food off to a drone. That drone is going to deliver the food to a delivery person, probably face 10, body 10, and then a subsequent customer. Countries have already started doing this. Iceland began the process of delivering food through a drone company in 2017. Amazon obviously began testing some of that back in 2016. I cannot wait to get my protein delivered via drone. As we mentioned at the top of the segment, our big focus is going to be on the student debt relief. Right now, Senator Warren and Senator Sanders are the only ones who want to outright cancel significant portions of the nation's debt. Sanders wants to cancel all the $1.6 trillion of outstanding student debt, while Warren has proposed a plan that would only cancel $640 billion. The scope of the education borrowing is huge. We've got over 44 million people uh, that are considered student debtors, and it's believed that up to 40% of them could default. We talked last week. Uh, exactly what the spending uh, increase to schools might be since we eliminated the check on universities for prices and the salaries of individuals that graduate. The Department of Education only reports that 45% of the loans, however, are for public college and universities, which are presumably significantly lower than the private sector. And something also else to note, uh, 40% of all loans taken out are to attend graduate school where there's no hard cap on loan amounts. What's unknown about this is whether individuals who have debt taken care of that's 
past, present, or future loans, um, if they're going to be forgiven for undergraduate courses in the future as well. Um, because the issue then comes up if you're going to school in the future and we've just gotten rid of the debt for all the people that have already gone through school, either paid their debt or still had, have debt, universities could say, hey, the government's going to pay for this anyway, or they might pay for it. So school is essentially free. However, graduate programs under some of the policies would be able to continue charging increasing prices since students may never have to repay those loans anyway. And so we could see a runaway effect, and then the argument was also going to be, if you did pay off your loans, are you going to receive any money uh, back from the government for being responsible and able to get your loans taken care of with your salary? Other countries have some different policies. Um, unless you make a certain amount of money in the UK, for instance, your loan is put on freeze until you can actually afford that payment. And then in other countries, they just take it straight out of your paycheck uh, in Scandinavia every single month so that you don't have to try to balance it yourself. It's just taken out similar to Social Security um, and other investments that you might have on auto pay. We'll see what happens again next week. Both uh, Senator Warren and Senator Sanders will have equal opportunity to debate some of their policies, especially against a field that largely does not support canceling out student debt. One of the topics that I find really interesting uh, in the economy focuses on China, whose GDP has grown substantially compared to every single country on Earth, especially with its infrastructure development over the last decade and a half. Uh, there's a great book called China Rising. I recommend it. But then the other part we're going to talk about is the Silk Road. On that note, if you've not seen the show Marco Polo, I highly recommend watching it. It's kind of the formation of exactly how trade happened from the Mediterranean all the way over through China and Central Asia. Back to China, though, uh, their growth this year is the slowest since 1992, growing 6.2% in the last quarter. While investment in the infrastructure rose 5.8% in the first half of the year, it's only up 0.2% during that first half. Um, and that might be a result of international and internal monetary policy uh, to blame for the lack of stimulus when the president cut taxes and didn't increase uh, overall GDP growth. Policies to increase the domestic investment are not targeted right now by the government um, as they're focusing on international development. This comes at a heightened time, obviously, between the United States and China because China saw exports fall nearly 1.3% just last month alone and because China is investing heavily uh, in its new Silk Road initiative, which goes through Pakistan and, and stretches into East Asia and Europe. The original Silk Road uh, started during the Han Dynasty and went through Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, all the stands, every stand, stands love silk, uh, and also included modern-day India and Pakistan. So back in 2013... China and its initiative to start global infrastructure and development through Africa and those Central Asian countries uh, began a plan called the One Belt, One Road Initiative. So the largest of such deals uh, comes between China and Pakistan in that economic corridor, which is going to connect China to Pakistan's Gwadar port on the Arabian Sea. What's really important and why this adds tension to U.S. relations is because China finances and builds through the country with very short loan periods given to those countries and financed internally 
by those uh, outside countries. So when a, a nation fails to pay China back on the very shortened time loan and uh, time scale, China then can lease out that area to its own nation, providing China access to ports and land um, at the poor nation's behalf. So when Pakistan can't pay back the infrastructure costs um, in the loan period, then China can say, hey, we're going to take this port. As a result of us taking this port, we're going to take some of the cost off of the debt that you owe us for a period of 50 years, giving them access to more trade, giving them access to more military growth and uh, prominence in, in the Indian Ocean, South China Sea, and, and Pacific. Finally, in economics, we talked about the big tech companies and now some of those implications from the same issues we saw in the United States uh, that we're seeing in Europe. On Wednesday, the European Union Commission announced it was formally investigating Amazon after reports that Amazon violated competition rules, an instigation which could cost Amazon $23 billion. EU is primarily concerned over Amazon's role as a platform for merchants and as a seller on the same platform. So going back to what we said earlier, they can analyze aggregate data from competitors on their own site to make a better, more profitable uh, commodity. The commissioner is Margaret Vestager, and she directly says Amazon appears to use competitively sensitive information about marketplace sellers, their products and transactions on their mark, uh, marketplace. So specifically, agreements between Amazon and its marketplace sellers allow Amazon to analyze and use third-party seller data. Um, and then that buy function and add cart function isn't available to all their competitors directly on their site. Last year, in 2018, the EU fined Google $5 billion for the same anti-competitive practices. And uh, again, in March, for abusive practices in online advertising, costing them $1.7 billion dollars. Amazon last year had to pay over $280 million for unpaid back taxes, and this comes on the heels of France and Britain wanting to charge 3% for digital marketplace sales to those same tech companies. This will continue to grow as there aren't too many laws governing and regulating online trade and sales uh, between you know, international corporations and where they might be hosted for primary tax purposes. So we'll continue to follow. And now, finally, upcoming events, news to watch for, miscellaneous stuff. First and foremost in the Senate, uh, they're currently trying to confirm the new Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper. And then uh, the House recently passed the bill, 582, for the minimum wage to be $15. The way everyone should follow how bills um, are passed is obviously they start in a committee somewhere. Um, it's called bicameralism. It's either in the House or in the Senate. Uh, once it passes a committee, it goes to the floor for a vote. Once it passes that specific House, it goes then to the other House. The other House puts it back into its committee and then goes to the floor, then goes to the president. The president can choose not to sign for 10 days, at which point that bill becomes a law. He can approve it or he can deny it where it goes back. And again, the two-thirds rule vote. So again, quick background of exactly how bills become laws. Um, it's pretty unlikely that that minimum wage bill is going to pass the Senate, however. Some miscellaneous news. Really cool movie, uh, Super Size Me, came out a couple years ago. Well, Super Size Me 2, Holy Chicken, comes out on the 13th of September. Obviously, in the fitness community, a lot of us like eating chicken uh, because of its protein value and, and lower fat, and this is going to take a look at the chicken industry. 
the movie The Lion King was released this Friday. I'm definitely not seeing it as I'm not going to see Mufasa die again. No matter what the music's like, I can just download that on iTunes. Speaking of iTunes, the Ed Sheeran album is out. It's absolutely fire. And finally, for a limited time only, limited quantities exist. We've just partnered with Adam Sock to come out with our own Cronus Fit line. Um, it's going to have our logo on it. It's going to be camo. You probably won't be able to see them when you wear it, except for the cool Cronus Fit logo floating uh, above your ankle while you're squatting, lifting, running. Be one of the first to get it. Go out, rock it in the gym. All right, guys, this concludes our weekly dispatch. Follow us on Instagram at Cronus Fit for daily workouts and program announcements. Don't forget to check out cronusfit.org for more programming, merchandise, and ways to donate to the nonprofit. Again, check out Brain, Body, and Bobby for weekly content where Bobby talks about a myriad of topics to make you a better athlete, ranger, human, and reflective person. Thanks. I'll see you guys next week.